Welcome to The Big Idea. I'm Douglas Kerr. And this week we're talking about the composer Richard Wagner, who was described by the poet W.H. Auden as perhaps the greatest genius that ever lived. The 19th century was a time for artists in the heroic mould, and there was indeed something of the titan about Wagner. His operas were music dramas <clears throat> or total artworks, synthesising the musical, poetic, dramatic and visual elements of the work for which he wrote both the libretto and the music. He was also a theatre director and conductor. Wagner had his own opera house built at Bayreuth, which remains a place of pilgrimage for Wagner lovers. Wagner revolutionised European opera. But his work is also deeply and politically traditional, drawing on folk motifs and legends like the stories told in the four opera Ring of the Nibelung, which he believed were expressions of the soul of the German people, or Volk, a people who finally achieved the status of a nation and immediately of a great power in Wagner's lifetime. A romantic egotist, a cultural hero, an innovative musical craftsman, Wagner is not just another composer. 120 years after his death, he's still controversial, inspiring adoration and loathing. So, to talk Wagner with me this week, I welcome Margaret Yang, Chief Executive Officer of the Hong Kong Sinfonietta, and Gabriel Leung, Dean of Medicine at Hong Kong University, and Principal Conductor of Hong Kong U's Union Philharmonic Orchestra. Thank you both for coming in. I want to ask by... I want to begin by asking, what is it about Wagner? What is it about Wagner that seems to inspire extreme reactions in people? Who wants to start? Well, I can start first there. Um, Extreme reactions. I think Wagner is one of those composers that you either love or hate. And that is because people know too much about his sort of personal life so to speak, in history books and everything, Mm -hmm. before they even get to the music. I mean, you get to the music, the music is sort of overwhelming, it's dramatic, it's colourful. Then you try to read about, you know how in um, the house programmes you have sort of life of the composer, Mm. and there are sort of some sordid, I don't know, maybe not the right word, interesting things about his life. So people are not reacting just to a lump of music, they're reacting to a to a person and a personality. Um, I was thinking about the the case of of Haydn. I mean, you can be very uh, enthusiastic about Haydn without knowing or caring anything about the man's life. But in the case of Wagner, it's the artist, isn't it, Gabriel, that seems to loom to the foreground. I think he wanted it that way, Yes, didn't he? I mean, through his writings, through his way of dealing with the public through his building of Bayreuth um, and, of course, above all, through his music. Uh, I think his his politics and possibly, more importantly, the, the later interpretation of his writings, especially the political views vis-à-vis whether he was or would have been a Nazi sympathizer um, – and whether he was an anti-Semite. I think they all really coloured people's views of him. But it's not just his politics. It's also the way he does things. And 
if we had the modern American Psychiatric Association <laughs> diagnostic manual, he would definitely be labeled an obsessive compulsive in many, many ways. Uh, for example, his, his, his last opera, Parsifal, uh, he decreed that it not be allowed to be performed not only during his lifetime, but in his will. After his death, it never saw the light of day until, if I remember correctly, a lawsuit uh, in the US, which ultimately the Met won and therefore staged its first um, outside Bayreuth performance that was unsanctioned. Um, and, you know, and of course his music. Uh, I think it's very difficult um, for most mortals, myself included, to get to grips with it. There isn't that immediacy of appeal. You have to work hard at understanding um, Wagner. You, you surprise me in a way by saying that Wagner is difficult to get hold of because I would have thought you go to a Wagner opera, it hits you in the face right from the start. The spectacle, the heroics, the size of everything. Are you talking musicologically, perhaps? I'm talking about, yes, but, you know, in order... For example, in Tristan, which is one of the pieces that's perhaps slightly more accessible than others, say, The Ring. Uh, but even Tristan is four hours long. But Tristan is... A, um, it's kind of not an example of, of I think what Douglas might be referring to uh, in dramatic Wagner. Um, Tristan is one of the uh, least. I mean, it's very dramatic inside. It's very dramatic in its music and all the libretto and 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 everything. But if you, I mean, I sat through one um, not in Hong, I think in Vienna, if I remember, and as. Gabriel said, I must have slept through some of it because it was very dark. There was nothing happening on stage. There were two persons singing to mm -hmm. each other. And in those days, I mean, limited German, everything, very dark, quite comfortable. Um, occasionally you wake up because there's these climaxes. But the lights didn't change. Four hours later, it was finished, and somebody said there was the, this was the best opera they've ever seen. And I said, well, this is not opera. Opera should be all colourful and interesting and entertaining, just like every, you know, other Wagner stuff. And Tristan was a, was a surprise to me at the time. You sound as if you're describing my experience of the Flying <laughs> Dutchman, actually. Although, with the Tristan, you have a very exciting story, a very romantic story. There's that, anyway. It seems to me that this word romantic is the one we need to add to the conversation, right? There's something about these big 19th century romantic artists. I think of Victor Hugo, for example, a, a contemporary, um, who, <clears throat> who seem to make demands on the reader or listener, which perhaps a more classical artist might not have made. I'm thinking about Wagner. You wouldn't really have Wagner on in the background somewhere, oh, on your car radio, <laughs> would you? Yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get the feeling that Wagner demands a total commitment from you. He, he does. I think you're right, absolutely, Doug, that, that he really envisioned his music being a spiritual journey above all. And the music is, 
it's almost just a medium. And, and, and I think that comes through, again, you know, very strongly, certainly in the ring. But I think, you know, if he had to pick one, it would be Parsifal that, you know, this is a spiritual enlightenment, that you come out a different being. Mm. Um, and, and I suppose that's why Bayreuth was constructed mm. and why it was designed. In fact, you know, Parsifal was written for Bayreuth. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's really the issue that we're talking about. And, you know, you're right. I think that, you know, people of that era are almost like our Facebook heroes nowadays. Yeah. Uh, sort of the precursor to that mass following. Mm. The medium is different. But, you know, if you think about just musically, Brahms, Verdi, Wagner, Liszt, these were all contemporaries, very different, mm. argued with each other, but nevertheless all larger than life. So let's try to do something about putting him in a kind of context. Everybody knows, born in 1813, this is the same year in which Verdi was born. Yes. So we have these two gigantic operatic composers through the, through the 19th century. Um, <clears throat> Very, very different. Maybe this is something that we can talk about. <laughs> but um, in terms of Wagner's own musical heritage, when he grew up, what was he listening to that, that might have um, had an effect on him? Isn't there a famous story of him listening to um, Beethoven 9? I mean, that's the his ultimate goal um, to compose... I think at the time he wasn't even a composer or mm -hmm. he wasn't even studying music. But um, he heard this and he thought, I'd like to write something like that, which is beyond um, music, beyond romanticism. I don't think he had too many musical role models. I think that Wagner really sort of lived a lot in his own world and had very definite ideas about how the world should be. And he almost reconstructs it for us through his music. And it's really a total worldview. It's beyond aesthetics. It's, it's a worldview. And he uses music mainly, but also his writings to present that worldview. But it's interesting that you talk about Verdi and and Wagner. Of course, they share the same birth year, mm -hmm. and we just celebrated the 200th anniversary of both. But I cannot think of two more diametrically opposite personalities, musicians, aesthetes who composed in the same genre, but so differently, but so differently. What kind of differences are you talking about? <clears throat> because I would think of these two as composers of, of substantial, large-scale operas who were also themselves political figures, in a sense became symbolic of a national character, a national renaissance in, in both cases for Italy and, and for Germany. I think they're completely different because I think that their worldviews are completely different. Take 
Verdi's very, very early work, Nabucco, mm. Babylonian king, uh, persecuting the Jews, um, almost the most famous of all Verdi choruses, Far Pensiero, which is almost the unofficial Italian anthem. Mm. You get it sung at state funerals, at football matches, yeah. at everything. And what is it about? It's about Verdi being the voice of the people, mm. being there for the masses, for the underdogs. Whereas you have a much more exclusive, almost elitist um, style coming through if you listen to Wagner. Mm. I would say, I would take that further and say Wagner's actually maybe egocentric it's all about himself although in his writings and I think in his later life as Gabriel said he wrote about the people and the folk and everything but actually those are all covers aren't they I mean it's all about <laughs> himself I want this I want this and this is the way I look at it and so his music or, or his work of art is <clears throat> a whole W-O-H-O-L-E in, in itself and he's not going to let other people influence it if you're more charitable he too wants to write for, for the people but he has a much more subjective absolutist mm. vision uh, I, I feel that these two views are not irreconcilable actually because anyway what he's doing is he, he's projecting himself the image of the artist as a kind of priest or prophet someone who speak, who has the right mm -hmm. to speak for a community of people and, and so on. This is completely romantic. Uh, mm -hmm. So he, it gives him license to be entirely egotistical and to use his work to express himself and his worldview because of the assumption that in doing so he's also a little bit ahead of the expression of, of a large community of people. Sure. All these heroes whether they are righteous or not, um, all in his opera and all these held antennas. Yes. You've got, you know, you've got Wotan, you've got Siegfried, you've got his last hero, Amfortis, in, in, in Parsifal. So, yes. So it's a kind of, it's a heroic kind of music. Mm. Would, would you say, Margaret? It's about larger-than-life people. I, I thought... Um, well, I use the past tense because I was thinking this before. I mm -hmm. mean, when I was um, at university studying music, I mean, that's the last time I actually read anything uh, in a textbook about mm -hmm. Wagner. I remember thinking it's all about himself. And that's why I said just now that he's, it's all about him. Yeah. All the heroes, I mean, the, the Flying Dutchman, I mean, the, the Siegfried. It, it's all about him and, and Tristan, of course. Um, and the, the thing about redemption, well, Gabriel mentioned it, is about him feeling a little bit sort of wrong in life and therefore doing, doing it better in, in the opera and not really going all the way to apologise, but it's redemption. Like, he, he's done this, yes, but it's for the good of everybody, and I get... Uh, somebody's con upstairs consent uh, to to get a better life afterwards, um, and I I'm I'm quite con I feel that in his music 
that he doesn't care about critics. Uh, he, his performances, I remember that um, he wanted to have control over his performances and that's why he built Bayreuth. He didn't want, you know, all these other opera houses doing it. And it might be OCD. It might also be just, <laughs> yeah. I think OCD is a kind of uh, serious control freakness, right, <laughs> right, doctor? And a little bit like Karayan, I would say. Mm -hmm. The Karayan wasn't a composer, was he? Well, anyway, uh, so Wagner wanted full control over his performances. That's why I think he he conducted some. Uh, he think the uh, conductor that conducted his works from Bülow was somebody he knew or mm. he can take control of. Mm etc. And I think he wanted exactly what he wanted. He chose his tenors and yes. sopranos. Um, so it wasn't, I think it wasn't for anybody else. It's the Wagner show. It's the Wagner show. Richard Wagner show. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about The Ring. Now, I, I was dismayed to hear that neither of you is a particular fan of, of The Ring Cycle. <laughs> Still, when people think about Wagner, this is the main work. This is the biggest the most ambitious, the most epic work. Four operas strung together, telling a, a long and complex story from Germanic myth with, with modern variation. What's going on here in Wagner's relation to that story, which, after all, if I'm right, he first wrote as a poem, didn't he? And yes. then this becomes the libretto. He, he then yes. does the music. What about the ring? I mean, the ring is an experience. It's an experience. And to many who buy tickets at exorbitant prices uh, to make the pilgrimage to Bayreuth, it's, it's supposedly a life-transforming experience. Now, of course, there are a lot of folklore stories and you know with with religious overtones all rolled into one um, and there is literature and the literature in many places in this very 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 long cycle is sometimes better than the music mm. and at other times the other way around but I think it's a very complete story of his worldview of not necessarily nationhood, but of what his people meant to him. Though it, it, it coincides with the creation of a, a German state. Or indeed, a German indeed. So... Okay, but then why should we care? Here we are in the 21st century. Why should we care That's about... That's why neither Gabriel nor I <laughs> have seen <laughs> it. <laughs> That's the answer. Why do... yeah. So um, this, this, is, this is epic theatre, isn't it? We, we think of epic as stories about the ancestors which, which help to give a, an identity to a to I think it's people. interesting, the point that has just been made, that... Uh, the Ring is one of those operas that you have to see in your lifetime because you've 
you know, if you are an opera lover or classical music lover, it's one of those been there, done that, been to the Berlin Philharmonic <laughs> at the Philharmonie kind of thing. Mm. And may, maybe that is so. And I politely say to, um, I apologize to all the Wagnerian fans out there, say that I'm not prepared yet to see the ring. Uh, first of all, I might. I fell asleep in Tristan, so maybe I can't yes, stand we're not, the ring. I can't we're not going to put money on you to stay awake throughout. I've seen and heard tidbits of it. Mm. And De Valkyrie is, is very good because I think it's a feminist uh, thing. Okay. Right. And, you know, little things like that. I, I haven't sort of I think you have to be uh, fully um, read to appreciate the ring. And I don't think I'm prepared for that yet and I think it is it is an it is epic theatre and also from from the other angle not from the audience the singers I mean some some singers they train their whole lives to get that one chance to sing whatever character in in the ring even if it's a very small one to say they've sung in that of course if you're Brunhilde you, you've made it but even it, if you're not is it more difficult to, to sing in a Wagner opera than I'm to sure sing it in is well, I think it's physically Martin. much more demanding because yeah. it's longer yeah. and you have to I think it's physically much more demanding and 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 to get your voice to be able to project in a Wagnerian opera I think it does something to your other competencies and skill sets. Mm. I mean, I don't think you can. I don't think you can be Brunhilde one night and then the next evening switch back to singing, uh, you know, Schubert. Except if you're Mariah, um, not Mariah, Maria Callas. Mm. She's done that, I think. Not not the next night, but in the same season. But it is it is correct that. Um, it's a completely different different kind of singing. It's a completely different register, completely different use of use of your diaphragm, everything. And apparently, if you're a Wagnerian soprano, nobody would hire you to sing anything else, not a Verdi opera. See, this goes back to what we were saying before about how demanding Wagner is and how how totalitarian, in a sense, if he's sucking up sopranos <clears throat> so that. If you become very good at being a, a Wagner soprano, then you're perhaps spoiled for anything else. It's this total commitment. And he seems to have exercised that upon people in his, in his life as well as upon musicians and, and audiences later on. I'm thinking about, for example, his relationship, of, uh, his relationship with King Ludwig of Bavaria, mm -hmm. who seems to have been persuaded to devote himself not persuaded. He was Ludwig II was completely in love with him. Well, his music and then with him. I've never understood this about uh, Wagner. I've seen pictures of him, fo not fo photos and pictures, and he's not good looking. You must Sorry. <laughs> and he's about and to my shock and horror, he was five foot four, That's five terrible. foot five. Most people were about that height then. Really, and and there were all these women beautiful women, married, mm. yeah. falling in love with him, yes. giving him money. And then, of course, this um, Bavarian king who also fell in love with him and his music. And whom Wagner pretty ruthlessly exploited, didn't he? Uh, well, we can, we, 
we can say we can say this sort of like now, but I think at the time he was quite polite. Oh, okay. Right. And um, <laughs> I, I went to this place near uh, Neuschwanstein uh, called I think it's called Schloss Linderhof, which is a little uh, palace of um, King Ludwig II. And the palace is nothing, but there's a grotto there. And the grotto has one seat for the king to just watch Wagner's opera. And, of course, what you see there, you see uh, a, a boat in the shape of a swan. Mm. And you think, oh, my God, this is, this is not only OCD. This is just like uh, indulgence. And it was a real grotto. You can just have a set there without anything else. Um, and you think, this guy's really in love. I mean, if you're not in love, you won't build this for him, Right. And I don't know what the attraction is. I don't know. Maybe Gabriel has other things to say about. Maybe have, you understand why. I have no idea why Ludwig, uh, you know, was so enamored with, with, with Wagner. But, you know, just like fans of all type, um, fans do extraordinary things. They do. And if, if you're a fan who's also a king, you're able to do most extraordinary things to express your admiration. We've almost run out of time. I'd, having been disappointed about your lack of enthusiasm for The Ring, I think at, uh, at this last moment I want to ask you each to say perhaps what you value most about Wagner. Gabriel, go first. I, A piece of music or an aspect of his work. I really, really think that his... Tristan Prelude would be my favourite. That Tristan chord. Um, people still trying to prize it open. Is it as simple as three augmented intervals overlaid on one another? Uh, what does it mean? Is it really the beginning of the end of tonality um, that suspense that he could actually hold for four hours because the whole piece does not really resolve until the very very end literally and how he manages to do that is just really mind-boggling and hold on to our attention, notwithstanding the fact that Margaret was jet-lagged during that performance. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, that, that really, I mean, I have nothing but admiration and respect. Margaret? I actually like the more humanistic side of um, the music of Wagner, like in the um, Meistersinger and the Flying Dutchman, where it's... Human love in its more human form, where you can understand what, what's going on, because Tristan was actually too difficult for me at the time, plus the jet lag. So, but the way he changed the music platform um, and the fabric forever afterwards, because he influenced, I don't know, Schoenberg, Berg, all those people who uh, made opera into something much more interesting than what it had been before and that for that i'm grateful and and i am you know just for the record i am a wagner fan well with that assurance 
<laughs> we've come to an end. Um, Margaret Yang and Gabriel Leung, thank you both very much indeed. And thank you for listening. <laughs>